Father, we're so thankful for your presence. Thank you because the Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, thank you because um, you are here to open our eyes and to bring us closer uh, to, a, to intimacy with you. So Holy Spirit, we'll give you a free cause in our lives this morning. Um, uh, glorify Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, and we just thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the life in this church. Thank you for the liberty in this house. Thank you for the freedom that we have to commune with you and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm going to be talking about walking in the spirit of holiness. And, um, uh, and this is part of the restoration series. Um, and uh, I've been talking about the restoration of the spirit of holiness, holiness. And for the last few weeks, we've been establishing what holiness is. And I'll try not to do a recap on a recap on a recap this morning and go straight into, into the Word. If you've missed any of the sessions, please, uh, you, can, uh, you can download uh, uh, our audio or listen to the audio online, highlifechurch.com, uh, or watch the videos in the same, on the same site, or you can purchase the CDs after the service. Okay? Holiness is a very important thing. Uh, a very important uh, doctrine in the New Testament uh, for you and I as believers, but it is important to understand what it is and to understand how to walk in it. Now, I have said already that the word comes from uh, a Hebrew word, kadosh. Uh, it literally means to be separate or set apart, to be separate or set apart, uh, and it speaks about purity, uh, to be set apart in purity. It speaks about distinction. Um, it speaks about elevation. Or put it in another way, uh, we could use the words completely other, okay? It's not from this place, okay? Um, that's what the word holy literally means. And, and that word gets its origin from the very presence of God. Uh, we saw this in, in Isaiah 6. Uh, when Isaiah saw the Lord, the angels, when they looked at the Lord, said, wow, this is holy. And in Revelation 4, the same thing, the four and twenty elders the, um, the four creatures around the throne looking at the Lord and beholding his perfection and his glory, their response was holy. So whenever the perfection of God is expressed, uh, whenever that perfection of God is expressed, whether in terms of purity, whether in terms of every uh, expression of distinction, that perfection is called what? It's called holy. Hallelujah. That perfection is called holy. And it is part of restoration. Actually, in the book uh, Nahum, in the book of Nahum, chapter 2, verse 2, you don't need to turn to it, I'll just read it real quick. It says, For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob, uh, like the excellence of Israel, for the emptiers have emptied out and ruined their vine branches. So, excellence is part of what God is restoring to the church. Uh, so, when we think about holiness, we think about distinction, we think about purity, we think about excellence, we think about the virtues of God um, manifested. And that is what you and I have been called to. Uh, one of the other things we established is that holiness or, or the outworking of holiness is the result of communion with the spirit of holiness. Okay? Because these perfections or these characteristics are God's characteristics themselves. You cannot produce them on your own. Hallelujah. Uh, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. Uh, accurately, you could say he's the spirit of holiness. He's the one that gives us the standard of what holiness is and produces that within us. Hallelujah. So the, the, the outworking of holiness is the fruit of communion with the Holy Spirit. The only path, the only path to becoming holy as he is holy is to walk with the Holy One daily 
uh, until his nature influences every aspect of our being. Okay? Now, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that um, where there's a command in Scripture, uh, and the Lord says, Be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. So that means that um, the, the uh, expression of holiness must be exactly as he is holy. Praise God. So that definition actually comes from him. The standard comes from him. He says, be holy as I am holy. And we spend a lot of time looking at um, the breakdown in the Greek because um, in the Greek, it's, it's, it, you can get greater clarity of what a verse is saying. And I said to you that every verb in the Greek language has what they call a tense, a mood, and a voice. Okay? So, in this particular passage, the mood is the imperative mood, which is a command. So, God is giving us a command. Alright? So, holiness is what? A? Say it again. It is a what? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Okay? So, it's a command to everybody. Okay? Nobody is exempt from this. It is a command from Almighty God. It is the imperative mood. It's the mood of command. Be holy. Um, uh, the, the voice, interestingly, or the tense, is what they call an aorist tense, which is a completed tense, meaning that what you need to be holy has already been done. Now, that liberated me. What you need, that means that no one is exempt. You can't say you don't understand my situation. No, he is giving you a command because he has already completed what you need to make you as holy as he is. Wow. Not holier than your brother or your sister, but as holy as he is himself. All right. And then the third aspect of this is the voice. The voice can be active or passive or middle voice. In this passage, it's the passive voice which is also an interesting one because the passive voice is when the object or the subject is receiving the action. The subject is receiving the action. Very important. The subject, I'm going to refer to this later in the service. The subject is receiving the what? The action. That means that your being holy or your becoming holy is in response to something. Hallelujah. You are responding to what God has already completed in Christ. You are responding to the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Hallelujah. That's why we've been given the, the spirit of holiness. It is a response. To be able to walk in holiness as he is holy, we must actively work with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. There is no other way. And we're going to establish that a little bit more as we go on. There is no other way. And I also made the statement last week that every command in the New Testament is a command to respond to what God is doing on the inside of you. Every command in the New Testament. Every command. So when God gives you a command, the first thing you need to say is, what is the Holy Spirit doing on the inside of me regarding this? How can I connect with the Holy Spirit concerning fulfilling this command? Because if the very first person you look at is yourself, you are going to fall. I say it again. I know the Lord actually allows us to fall because a lot of times it is only when we fall that we recognize that we have been relying on ourselves. Every command in the New Testament 
is a command to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. So any attempt to produce godly character without the involvement of the Holy Spirit and the work of grace given by the Holy Spirit will always produce either legalism or lawlessness. Yeah. Now you see how I got here. We are called to be holy. But holiness is not the fact that you look more spiritual than your brother. Holiness is demonstrating the very virtues, the perfections of God. And he has commanded that everybody do this. Hallelujah. But he has given us the spirit of holiness. And it's only by walking with him that we can do what God has told us to do. Okay? Because his command is, to, is a command to respond. Now, if you try to produce it any other way, no matter how well-intentioned you are, you are going to fail. It would either produce legalism at best or lawlessness. Okay? Because legalism is when one tries to achieve God's standard through human effort. Okay? Through human effort. There's nothing wrong with human effort. But legalism is when you try to achieve God's standard through human effort without the active operation of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah? I'll come back to that. Now, lawlessness is the other end of the pendulum. Because when people have tried and failed, they typically say, you know what, what's the point? At least we have grace, right? Yeah? So they just live anyhow. And that is what we saw the prodigal son doing because he stayed with the father long enough to receive his inheritance by grace and then he invested in acts of lawlessness. All right? So both always lead to an unfulfilled life and a life that um, uh, um, falls short of the high purpose of God because either legalism or lawlessness will never produce um, the righteousness of God in us. Now, let us take up from there. You know, it's important to understand that the laws of God are good. The laws of God are what? Are good. Every law that God has ever given, when he said to humanity, when he said you can eat of any tree in the garden, but that tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it because the day you eat it, you will surely die. Now, he wasn't saying because uh, you are going to die because you are disobedient to me by eating that tree. He commanded them not to eat of the fruit of that tree because the fruit of that tree was poisonous. Hallelujah. When God identifies something as evil, it is because that evil is going to poison you. So the laws of God are what? They are good. The laws of God are good. In fact, even in the New Testament, when Paul was talking about this in Romans 7 verse 12, he said the law is holy. He said the laws of God, the law of God is holy and the commandment is holy. It is just and good. Hallelujah. The laws of God are good. And you know, there's nothing wrong in trying to fulfill the laws of God. But you know, what God wants to do with us is he wants us to, he wants to help us fulfill his laws because without him, we can actually do nothing. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament, even the laws he gave them were good. But you know how many laws there were? There were actually not 10 laws. There were 418 of them. There were 418 laws, some were moral laws, some had to do with agriculture and diet, etc., etc., but there were 418 of them. 
And if you obeyed all 418 of those laws, you were righteous. And as a result of being righteous, as in doing the right thing, you will attract the blessings of God. Because of time, we wouldn't read um, um, Deuteronomy 28. But when you have the time, go through Deuteronomy 28. Because he says that these are the blessings that will follow you if you obey all my commandments. How many were they? Were they all good? Yes, they were. They were good. They were holy. They were righteous laws. And if they obeyed all those laws, 418, they would be righteous and they will have all the blessings. But if they disobeyed any of those 418, guess what you are when you break the law? You're a lawbreaker. Okay? And as a result of being a lawbreaker, it means that all the curses of the law will come upon you. That is also in Deuteronomy 28. When we say Abraham's blessings are mine, we forget that in Abraham's covenant, there were also curses there. And if you broke one of the laws, then you were eligible for all the curses. Okay? So they began obeying the laws. So imagine, you know, year one, you obey law one, law two, law three. Man, I'm doing great. Law 100, I'm doing great. Then 101, you fail. And you are cursed. Then all the curses come. Cursed are you when you wake up. Cursed are you when you go to bed. Cursed is the fruit of your ground. Cursed because you open the door and the devil comes and says, look, look, look. Unrighteous. 101. So you do the next year, you go to 200. 201. You fail. Guess what happens? You are cursed. Year three, you manage to get a 300. You look at the guys that are still you know, falling off. Falling over on 101 and you are laughing at them. Look, look, look. You get a 300, 301, you fall on your face. Guess what happens? Curse. Have you, watched, have you played any of these, um, <laughs> any of these uh, you know, video games, you know? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so year four, you manage to get to 418 without erring. And you get excited. And you run through the camp saying, man... I am righteous, I am righteous, I am righteous. You look at everyone and say, you know, you guys are unrighteous, I'm righteous. You get into pride. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Your foundation becomes... You understand what I'm saying? So the laws were good. The laws were perfect. The laws were holy. But even in the Old Testament, when God gave them the laws, he gave them this thing called sacrifices. So when you broke the law, you could bring a lamb... You could come before the high priest, etc. Um, on the Day of Atonement, you know, the, the blood was shed and the sins were covered. Are you with me? So the laws of God are always good. Um, but the reason why man failed was not because of the laws. It was because of the weakness of the flesh. In themselves, they could not fulfill the just requirements of the law. Hallelujah. And God knew that, that humanity will never be able to fulfill his righteous standards without his help. And um, even referring to this in the New Testament, um, Paul, look at Galatians 3 verse 21, 24 real quick. Speaking about the law, because the laws of God are good. Hallelujah. If you obey God's law, you will prosper. Somebody was um, doing an analysis of the Jews and talking about the the hundred most influential people in the US and how they're all Jews and worldwide um, you know just looking at the Jews and the Jewish covenant 
and how through obeying the covenant, people have entered into great wealth. Into great wealth. The laws of God are good. But look at what Galatians 3.24 says. It says the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor. Are under a tutor. The law was meant to prepare us to help us understand that even though the law in itself is good, we can't fulfill God's requirements on our own. So the law prepared us for grace. Even in the law, it showed us even in the law that we needed more than the law to fulfill God's requirements. We needed help. Hallelujah. So the law was a tutor, a schoolmaster, preparing us for the real thing. Now the real thing is the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Now when we talk about grace, grace does not negate the law of God. Yeah? Grace does not negate the law of God. You know, Jesus even gave laws. He said, I give you, um, I leave you one commandment. Yeah? This is the new commandment I give you. This commandment, if you obey it, is going to fulfill all the laws. So he was not negating the laws. Uh, are you with me? Yeah? Because the law is what? The law is good. He was not negating the law. He says, I am giving you this law to fulfill all the other 418. So the law prepared us for something, understanding that the law of God is good, but we need his help to fulfill his law. Are you with me? And that is what grace is. That is what grace is, which is available to us in Christ Jesus. Grace enables us to fulfill the law of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because whenever we talk about grace, we talk about God making his power available to us freely. Yeah? You can call that power the spirit of holiness. He has made available in Christ the Holy Spirit to us freely. And through working with the Holy Spirit or responding to the Holy Spirit, we will be able to fulfill the law because the law is what? The law is good. Hallelujah. You know, people of God want to please God. If somebody is born again, does not matter what is happening in their lives. When you go behind the veil, they want to please God. Hallelujah. They want to please God. That's why the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. When Christ comes on the inside, you want to please God on the inside. You want to please God. People of God are not lawbreakers at heart. They desire to please God, even under the Old Testament. But because of the weakness of the flesh, they couldn't. So what God did in Christ was he did what the law could not do. Yeah? Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 3. We're going somewhere with this this morning. God did what the law could not do. Romans 8 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. So the law was what? It was good, right? But the law was weak. The law could not achieve righteousness because humanity was weak. Are you with me? Now, even now, you cannot fulfill righteousness because without him, you are weak. It says, God did what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God, sending, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh 
that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So even in the New Testament, God wants the requirements of the law to be fulfilled in us. But through the New Testament, he has added something to the New Testament that allows us to fulfill the requirement of the law, and that is the Holy Spirit. Do you see that there? It says, we in the New Testament who are in Christ, God has done something unique, and if we will respond to the Holy Spirit in us, he will fulfill in us or through us the just requirements of the law. Hallelujah. So the grace of God that has been made available to us in Christ, the grace of God that has given us the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we can become holy as he is holy. Hallelujah. God's power at work within us to fulfill his will. The power of the Holy Spirit is freely given to every believer. And that is why an understanding of grace is an understanding of the fact that we have what we need in order to live righteous, holy lives. And what we need is the Holy Spirit, but we need to respond to him. Otherwise, if we keep trying like they did in the Old Testament, we will fail. Because we don't succeed because we are in Christ. We succeed because in Christ we use what he has made available to us in Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. Do I need to say that again? We are not going to succeed because we are in Christ alone. Hallelujah. We are not going to succeed because we are in Christ alone. We are going to succeed because we use what being in Christ has made available to us. And that's why he says that what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, he did. He sent Jesus. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. In the Old Testament, they couldn't walk according to the spirit because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. He is the difference maker. Yeah? He comes into us when we come into Christ. Amen. But without him, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit without me. Hallelujah. If you are in Christ and you are not abiding in him and you're not responding to the work of the Holy Spirit, you can't bear fruit. Hallelujah. But thank God we can respond to him. Look at Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Very important verse that every person who is in Christ should understand and know as a child of God of the New Testament. Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Now, who is teaching us here? The grace of God that has appeared. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself... His own special people, zealous for good works. Now he's talking about you and me here. He says we are his special people. We are his people that are made for good works. Hallelujah. He says that he has given us grace and that grace is going to teach us something. Hallelujah. He's gonna, the grace of God is going to teach us how to deny ungodliness. 
It is going to teach us how to deny worldly lusts. It's going to teach us how to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Haven't you heard it said that you don't understand the, the days in which we live now are so different? Well, present is always present, is it not? In this present age. Yes, I know things are more challenging now than they've ever been. But in this present age, the, the grace will teach us. Hallelujah. It will teach us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It will teach us how to live soberly and righteously and godly in this age. Hallelujah. Now, you know, I'm involved in a lot of WhatsApp groups. Maybe far too many. And um, some of them have switched off the notifications. Um, and you know, whenever I get into a conversation with somebody, you know, because I do not cast, well, Jesus said, do not put holy things before dogs and do not cast your pearls before swine. Jesus said it, I didn't say it. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I do not throw holy things before dogs. I do not cast pearls before swine. So when I'm in, when I'm in every conversation, I always ask myself, because I don't, not, I don't need to teach anybody anything, all right? So I ask myself when I'm in a conversation, am I the student or am I the teacher? Because I can be whatever you want me to be. As a student, I adopt the posture of a student. I keep quiet and I listen. I take into account the fact that the things that I know are the things that I know. It is possible that the teacher might know more than I do. So I need to give the teacher the benefit of the doubt. Rather than thinking of how I'm going to respond while he's speaking, I listen and allow him to finish and think about what he says, and then I ask the question in the way a student should. Ah, sir, could you, this, have you thought about this? What do you think if I look at it from that perspective? I can be a student and I can be a teacher. I'm a student all the time because I'm always learning. Are you with me? But if somebody, if I get into a conversation and I realize that the person is a teacher, we can't be two teachers in the same place. So you know what I will do? I will adopt the posture of a student. I will listen. Because arguments have never produced uh, instruction. All right? And I learned many years ago that he who knows not and knows not that he knows not is actually a fool. All right? So I just think, well, let me wait until he knows that he doesn't know. But anyway. So he says that grace is going to teach us certain things. That means that if we're going to learn from grace, we need to adopt the posture of a student. Right? Because if we adopt the posture of a student, we would learn. Uh, are you following me? Yeah? That's why Jesus said, come to me and learn of me. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you come to me and learn of me, Jesus said, I will teach you. You know, Jesus will adopt the posture of a student if you are a teacher. He will stay there and he will listen. And he will let you fall. But unfortunately, for a lot of times, falling is our greatest blessing. Because when we've fallen enough times, we go back to him and we adopt a different posture. Yeah? But let's move on. So he says, grace will teach us how to do these things. How to do these things. Okay, let's move on. Now, look at Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8. I, I try to do this. I want to do this line by line this morning. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2 8 says that we are saved by grace. Hallelujah. The working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should what? Should boast. Now why did he say not anyone should boast? Lest anyone should boast here. Because boasting was a big deal under the old covenant. The guy that did a hundred out of the four hundred would say, ah, at least. <laughs> you understand? At least. The one that did four hundred, and that was why the Pharisees were so notorious. Because as far as they were concerned, we are the ones. Because as far as they were concerned, they had fulfilled the 418, which they hadn't. And then they now came up with other laws. And everywhere they went, everyone knew, oh, that's a Pharisee. Because there was, there was room it was deceptive, but there was room for boasting. So Paul says in Christ is different. Because to fulfill God's requirements in Christ, it is not going to take you. It is going to take the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So if you are doing things the right way in Christ, you will never have room to boast. Are you with me this morning? If in Christ you are following the path of the new covenant which is the path of the operation of grace, we will never have room to boast. In fact, you will not be tempted to boast because you will know how you achieved what you achieved. So he says that salvation is by grace. And then later on, he wrote to the Colossians, or to the Galatians, and says, now that you are saved, growth is by the same grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can't boast because you are growing spiritually because any real spiritual growth is the result of responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Every fruit of the Spirit is the result of abiding in Him and drawing your life up from the vine. There may be some things that look like fruit that make you boast, but they are not fruit because any real fruit must come out of that place of communion with God. So you know you can't boast. Hallelujah. In fact, when we get to heaven and we receive eternal rewards, the rewards are based on how we have yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Hallelujah. And that is why my most favorite of all favorite scriptures in the New Testament is Ephesians 2 verse 7. Ephesians 2 verse 6 talks about the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and we were raised... Uh, and we sit with him in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. But verse 7 says, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So forever, as we're in heaven and join heaven and rejoicing in God, God is demonstrating that all these people that have come here, all these people that have received these rewards have received them because of the bountiful kindness of mine and my lavish grace toward them. Nobody in heaven is going to be able to boast. Anything that gives you room for boasting, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, the fire of God's judgment is going to burn it up. So in heaven, the rewards are going to be based on grace. The eternal um, joy we have is going to be based on grace. So we better learn how to respond to him now. Hallelujah. Because nothing else 
produces anything of lasting value. Hallelujah. So, let us get to where I am headed. Having laid this foundation, Paul now makes the command that you and I should walk in the Spirit. Look at um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Galatians 5 16. The call to holiness is the call of God on all our lives. In Galatians 5 16 it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Put up the Amplified Version, please. The Amplified Version of Galatians 5.16 says this. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then, everyone say then. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. Now notice the command. Walk in the spirit. Live habitually in the Holy Spirit. Responsive to him. Controlled by him. Guided by him. Then you will certainly. Wow. Isn't it amazing how you will certainly not gratify the cravings of the flesh. I want to use my um, Margaret Thatcher illustration again, because I did that last week. But you know, a lot of times we read a verse, and we read it, but we interpret it totally differently. Now, what did he say we should do? What is the command? Walk in the spirit, and you will certainly not fulfill the cravings of the flesh. Now, we read it that way, but how do we interpret it? Don't fulfill the cravings of the flesh, and then you'll be in the spirit. So, instead of focusing on walking in the spirit, we focus on not fulfilling the cravings of the flesh. It reminds me of what happened with, um, in John chapter 3, with John the Baptist. John the Baptist identified Jesus Oh, this is the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus' um, disciples begin to baptize people. And John's disciples come and say, look, at the Jesus that you identified, his people are baptizing more people than we are. John says, he must increase while I must decrease. But we read it as, I must decrease so that he increases. John says, he must increase. So that I must decrease. Walk in the spirit. He must increase. So that I must decrease. In other words, it is as he increases that I decrease. It is not me trying to decrease so that he can increase through me. No, it is as he increases that I decrease. It is as I walk responding to the Holy Spirit that I don't fulfill the loss of the flesh. It is as I live in the Holy Spirit and I'm growing in that responsiveness of being controlled by him that the cravings of my flesh will continually decrease. It is as my vision of him in me increases 
that my limitations decrease. Hallelujah. The more of him I see in me, the less of my limitations I see. Hallelujah. It is only then as the vision of him in, in me increases that I begin to walk in my through identity. And that's why the Bible says that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. The expectation to walk in the virtues of God are linked to Christ in you. The more of him you see, the more of his perfections are demonstrated through you. You know, in Galatians 5.19, Paul says the works of the flesh are plain. Look at Galatians 5.19. These are the cravings of the flesh. These are the cravings of the flesh. doesn't matter how holy you look on a Sunday morning. I know some of us don't even attempt to look holy on a Sunday morning. These are the same. Notice that this, this was written to Christians. This whole chapter, this whole book was written to Christians. And it was, it was challenging Christians to walk responding to the Holy Spirit. And saying that it is your response to the Holy Spirit that is the only secret. The only secret. Yeah? Because the cravings of the flesh are obvious. Verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, that's all kinds of sexual immorality, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is witchcraft. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to the village. It means that you're having manipulative spirit. Yeah, let's go on. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness. You know murders, you might think I haven't killed anybody. But you've killed them with your words. Drunkenness, reveries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, thank God we're in Christ, but this verse was written to people in Christ. Hallelujah. But do you know that the Bible says that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill these lusts. If we respond to the Holy Spirit, every single, you certainly will not fulfill these lusts. In Romans 8, 13, it says, if you live according to, the spirit, according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, by the Spirit. Everyone say, by the Spirit. By the spirit. Yeah, it says, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Now, why... Why is it critical that it is by the Spirit? We've established that you can't do it without Him. But why, you know, like last Sunday, I, I went for lunch afterwards. Um, it was someone's birthday and they invited me. And uh, they invited Anita and I tagged along, basically. And um, so I was chatting with somebody and they were saying, you know, this morality thing, why don't we just encourage people to try their best? What's wrong in, you know, just, I mean, come on. They taught us, right? So why don't we just, just mock in? I know we can all try our best, but God also has a better way. Are you with me? Now, let me tell you why just trying your best is not sufficient. And that's why I want to show you here. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. I'll be getting something out of this this morning. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, the Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works 
in the sons of disobedience. He said, this is how you used to walk before. Yeah? Verse, um, verse 3 says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. He said, this is how we used to walk. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. I like how the Amplified verse puts it. Look at the Amplified. It says, verse 2, or Ephesians 2 verse 1. No, sorry, verse 2. It says that we were under the sway, we were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. He says that there is a demon spirit. There is a spiritual force. The prince of the power of the air is the one that is fueling these lusts of the flesh. Are you with me? You see, the loss of the flesh are not just bad habits. The loss of the flesh are being fueled by a well-orchestrated operation of darkness. There are spiritual forces that are behind the operations or the fueling of the loss of the flesh. And that is why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. If you were wrestling against flesh and blood, then your mere willpower could guarantee victory. But there is a spiritual principle at work. You know, over certain areas, there are some spiritual things or spiritual forces that, um, because of what people have allowed, that have strongholds in the area. I don't know if you perceive it or not. I can travel anywhere in the world. I haven't gone to that many places. But when I land in Nigeria, when I land in Lagos, there are things I sense that I don't sense in other places. At least so far. For me, oh, do you understand? I hear that even areas have their own prevalent issues. But wherever you are, these things called the loss of the flesh are being fueled by spiritual forces. So for you to overcome, you need to be using a greater spiritual force. And that's why Paul says... That we must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that is the only guarantee that will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Hallelujah. Only a will that is empowered by the active agency of the Holy Spirit will guarantee victory. Only. If you're not, all you're trying to do is covering up one way or the other. Trying your best. And you know what? Trying your best is not a bad deal, right? At least you are trying. But you might as well access the power. Hallelujah. Otherwise, it will end up in frustration. And God forbid lawlessness. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I've got six more minutes. All right. So, we'll continue this next week. But how do we walk in it? What, what are the ways we respond to the Holy Spirit? Now, now we know that, you know, he's critical. You know, in fact, I was, gonna, I was asking a question as I was meditating on this over the last few weeks. Why does my holiness seem so tenuous? Why is it so linked to the Holy Spirit? 
Why? Why, am I, why do I need to be so dependent on him? Why, why can't I? I mean, I need to be able to get to a place of growth where at least I should be able to sort myself out. Now, that thinking comes out of a lack of understanding of how the human system was created to work. You can imagine having um, uh, a car that ran on, on leaded or leaded fuel, and um, all of a sudden, they, t- they tell you that you know, leaded fuel is bad, that is now unleaded. Yeah? Or let's even say, let's even be more politically correct and say that you know, we now have a car that is, uh, what is the most fuel-efficient, battery-operated, yeah? Electric car. Yeah, that's the best one, right? Electric car. So they say you can drive into a, a particular shop, and your car, whether it was leaded or unleaded, can now become wired for electric. So you go in, invest in this process, and you think, hallelujah, clean energy finally. And you drive out. And after a few hours, the car stops. You see, and you get out of the car, you kick it and say, what's wrong with this car? Why? And they say, no, don't you understand? You need to charge the battery. But you say, no, why do I need to charge the battery? Haven't we just, aren't I a new creature? Why do I need to charge the He said, no, the, the way it works. You see, your, your engine was not meant to function without God. Do you understand? The engine of the new creature was not meant to function without God. He is the fuel our lives were created to burn. Yeah? So in Christ, he is the fuel. Heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, which is the glory of God, is the fuel for our spirit man. Without without abiding in him, like Jesus said in John 15. If you say, well... Thank God he's the branch, or he's the vine, I'm the branch, and you cut the branch off, you will not be fruitful. He says, without me, that abiding is constant. That abiding, in fact, what will guarantee your fruitfulness is your abiding in him. The more you abide, the more fruitful you become. So your growth in God, as I said a few months ago, is not a growth in dependence, it is a growth in interdependence. Are you with me? Yeah? So that is why this this thing called holiness, this thing called walking in the fruit of God, is highly dependent on our communion with him. Hallelujah. Highly dependent on our communion with him. He is the fuel. Our spirits were created to burn. So there are certain things we must do as the special ones, the holy ones of God. The saints of God. There are certain things we must do. We must respond to him. Number one is prayer. Hallelujah. And I'm going to end on that. And we'll wrap it up next week. Number one is prayer. You know, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah? You know, in 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says that we should be be sober and vigilant because we have an adversary, the devil. Yeah? Who is prowling, who is walking around, looking for those whom to devour. And he says this adversary, we should resist him, 
steadfast in the faith. Everyone say steadfast in the faith. Okay. He says we should resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings have been experienced by your brothers in the world. I've already established that there's a spirit at work in the world. The enemies at work in the world. It doesn't matter how, how quiet you are. He knows where you live. He knows your address. He is your adversary. And the Bible says you should resist him. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. But you know that passage doesn't tell you how to resist him. It just says resist him. So what do we do? The devil comes, we say, I. <laughs> yeah? He, he, it's like, you know. <laughs> he comes and the Bible says resist him and he'll flee. So we say, I resist you and he doesn't flee. But the Bible says I should resist you. Well, you need to understand what resisting means. It's like saying, this is a gun. When an enemy comes, put the, the, uh, the, uh, I'll say the battery, the bullets in and shoot the enemy. Yeah? 45 Magnum, make it 47, whatever. The enemy comes, you take the gun, and you say, I, I shoot you. <laughs> yeah, you say, I shoot you. And the enemy says, okay, thank you for shooting me. <laughs> and then he comes and grabs the gun and you wonder what happened they told me in the shop just shoot him but I shot him and he didn't die <laughs> yeah Jesus said the Bible says resist him steadfast in the faith resist him and he will flee and we're saying I resist now we need to learn what it means to resist how do I resist one of the ways we resist is prayer. Jesus said to them in Gethsemane, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray lest you enter. It is not when the temptation comes that you're meant to be praying. Yeah? He said, temptation is going to come. Pray now. He said, listen, pray now, pray now, pray now. You guys can't watch with me for an hour. Pray now. The temptation is coming. Pray now. Now, of course, they said, uh, you know, we're tired. So when the temptation came, they all fell. Did they not? They tried, but they didn't even know what they were doing. Because in the day of temptation, you would not know what you're doing if you have not resisted before. Chandai. Okay? Good. So he says... Pray lest you enter into, the tempt into temptation. Yeah? Um, the New Living Translation says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You will not give in. So prayer and giving in to temptation are linked. Yeah? They are linked. Now we know that Jesus had a regular prayer life. In Mark 1, 35, it says that every morning he will rise up a great while before day. And he went out, departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Prayer. Prayer as a vital way of um, responding to the Holy Spirit. Every day, pray until you connect with him. Hallelujah. The Bible says there are all kinds of prayer, particularly praying in the Holy Spirit. 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 It says, pray... We need to pray particularly in the Holy Spirit, much in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because when you have a regular, consistent prayer time, 
What it does, it does certain things. Number one, you operate in an atmosphere of heaven. There, there is, there is, because you are connecting with the atmosphere of heaven. So when you, when you move out of that time of prayer, you are more conscious of heaven um, than, than you would be otherwise. I'm not just saying praying to commit my day to the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. Even though you should pray to commit your day to the Lord. But, but spend time praying in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about interacting with heaven here. Are you, are you following me? The other thing that prayer does, we see that in James chapter 5 verse 16. The Bible says we'll confess our faults to one another. Pray for another, one another you may be healed. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person makes much power available. That's the Amplified. It says makes much power available, dynamic in its working. You know, when you pray, particularly praying in the Holy Spirit, you are laying tracks in the Spirit. You are given authority. You are given permission to the forces of God to go into your day. You are releasing the forces of God to go into your day. The Bible talks about praying. In, when you pray in other tongues, you might speak with the tongues of men or the tongue of angels. There are certain things to do with your day that you are aligning even before you walk into it. Hallelujah. There are certain devils, there are certain opportunities for failure that you will dispel and you will destroy in your prayer time before you walk into it. Yeah? Prayer is one of the ways we respond to the Holy Spirit and is one of the ways we resist the devil. Hallelujah. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. These are the days of glory. Hallelujah. And the Spirit of holiness has been restored to the church. Hallelujah. And whenever God brings restoration, the first thing he does is he gives us sight. He helps us to see. The, the Lord, you know, I'm going to end with um, um, John chapter 3 verse 17. Look at John 3 17. I'd like us to put up, put up the, um, the message Bible translation of John 3 17. And I'm going to end here. Praise God. John 3.17 says, the Message Bible. This is your memory verse for today. Yeah. It said, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Hallelujah. You see, this message of holiness is not a message of condemnation. It is a message of liberation. Hallelujah. It is a message of liberation because God is on our side. Hallelujah. God is on our side. Hallelujah. He is so on our side that he's on the inside of us. And he's opening our eyes to see what he has made available to us. Because these are the days that you and I are destined to walk in victory. We are destined to walk in the purity of heaven. We are destined to walk in the distinction of heaven. That is what God ordained for you even before the foundation of the world. And he is showing us by his grace and by his spirit of revelation how to walk in all of these things. Hallelujah. Come on, let us bless the Lord this morning. Let's bless him. Let's bless him. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks for the word. We give you thanks because the entrance of your word gives light. Yeah, it gives light. And it gives understanding to your people. Thank God because this is a day that we rise as a mighty army. Uh, it's not a day of weakness. It is a day of strength. It is a day of distinction. It is a day of excellence. 
It is a day where your glory will be seen through our lives. Lord, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.